If you take your Bibles and turn to the book of John, the Gospel according to John. And no, I'm not misspeaking and meaning to say Luke, uh, meaning to say John. Uh, as you know, I wasn't supposed to be standing up here preaching. Uh, Joel was, but in, in God's sovereignty, Joel has laryngitis, and that makes it hard to preach. Really hard to preach. Pretty much impossible, right, brother? <laughs> uh, but I know that this is where Joel was heading uh, to John 15, and this was kind of where we wanted to uh, close out 2012 and begin 2013. And so I wanted to stay in this passage and think about abiding um, in Christ and abiding uh, in His Word. And so we'll be in John chapter 15, verses 1 through 11 this morning as we think on those things. I think there are probably two kinds of people in the world. There are those people that make New Year's resolutions, and there are those people that don't make New Year's resolutions. I think maybe there's a third category, too. There's people that say they don't make New Year's resolutions, but really make New Year's resolutions, but they just don't tell anyone their New Year's resolutions, so that if they fail to keep their New Year's resolutions, no one knows. I don't know if anyone's in that group. He probably wouldn't confess it. But it seems like there's something about this this fresh calendar, the close of a, of a year. We kind of look back and we see uh, the ways that God has done uh, great things. But we also see the ways that, you know, I wish I wouldn't have done this. I wish I would have grown in this. Why am I still at this spot? I thought I would be different after 365 days, but for some reason I am the same. And so I think there's something to making New Year's resolutions. There's something good about a fresh start and saying, what, how do I want to grow this year? If you talk to the, the experts, they would probably tell you, this is how you make a good New Year's resolution. It needs to be something that's, that's simple. It needs to be something measurable, something that you can say, these are the things that I need to do. And it needs to be something that probably could be fully realized within 365 days so that you feel some sort of sense of accomplishment. So, um, a New Year's resolution like, I want to be in better shape, that's probably not a good New Year's resolution, right? We need some measurable goals. You know, I want to lose 10 pounds. I want to be able to run five miles at the end of the year. And then you have steps that you take. I will get a gym membership. I will uh, I will be running one mile by the end of February or something. So these are measurable goals, and you're going. So I'm going to give you a New Year's resolution that doesn't meet any of those criteria, um, except that it's simple. I think that... If we could resolve as individuals and even as a church this year to do one thing, I'll just give you it as one word, and it would be abide. If we had to make it three words, I would say abide in Christ. But I think the key word here in John 15, and maybe a key word for us in the year 2013, would be to abide. Let's go ahead and read John chapter 15, and you will see this word abide. That's what it is in my translation. Um, but it will jump out all over the place here in these 11 verses, and you'll know why it's the key verse. And then we are going to talk, uh, first of all, about what does it mean to abide, uh, then how do we abide, and then what are the results of abiding. So what does it mean, uh, how do we do it, and what are the results. So let's read this passage together. Very familiar passage, but I pray that we see it with fresh eyes. This morning, this is Jesus speaking to his disciples, and he says in his final of his seven I am statements, he says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. 
Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy, my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. So again, we're going to consider what does it mean to abide? How do we abide in Christ? And then what are the results of abiding? But first, let's kind of get a big picture here in verses 1 through 3. Jesus is making an illustration. He says, I am the true vine. Jesus says, I am a vine. I am the true vine. Probably in contrast to Israel, uh, who was often talked about in the Old Testament as a vine. Jesus says, I am the true vine. Unlike Israel, that was often uh, unfruitful was not the blessing that it was supposed to be. Jesus is the true vine. He is greater than Israel. And so he says, I'm not just the vine, I am the true vine. And then he says that his Father, God the Father, is the vine dresser. So Jesus is the vine, and the Father is the one who keeps the vine. He tends the vine. He um, he nurtures it. He cares for it. You can think of God the Father as the gardener. He takes care of this vine. So Jesus is the vine, the true vine. The Father is the vine dresser. And then there are two kind of branches that are mentioned here. Verse 2 says, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. So there are two kinds of branches. There are those that bear fruit, and there are those that don't bear fruit. As I think about this vine, I think about grapes. It's about the only thing I know that grows on a vine. So there are branches off of this vine that have clusters of grapes that are growing on them, some bigger than others. And then there are these other branches that just have nothing. They're dried up. There's no fruit growing on these vines. And so there's two things that happen. There are two fates for these branches. The branches that are fruitless, what happens to them? They're cut off and thrown away. But the branches that bear fruit, what happens to them? They're pruned so that they will bear more fruit. So we've got the illustration here. Jesus is the vine. The Father is the vine dresser, and there are two kinds of branches that come off of this vine, which represent two kinds of people, those that are fruitful and those that are unfruitful, that actually bear no fruit. It's not as if they bear a little bit of fruit. They actually they bear zero fruit. And there's two fates for those branches. The ones that bear fruit are pruned, so they will bear more, and the ones that don't bear anything are cut off. And then Jesus has this statement in verse 3, Already you are clean, because of the word that I have spoken to you. Now that seems just kind of out of out of the blue to a certain extent, but it should be it should remind us of some words in John thirteen. You remember in John thirteen where Jesus washes the disciples' feet. And he comes to the point where he gets to, to Peter and he's going to wash Peter's feet. And Peter says, Jesus, are you going to wash my feet? It's obvious because Jesus has already washed the other disciples' feet. 
And Jesus says, yes, I'm going to. And Peter says, you will you'll never wash my feet. And Jesus says, if I don't wash your feet, then you have no part with me. And then in classic Peter fashion, he overcompensates and says, okay, then not just my feet, wash my whole body. And then in John 13, verse 10, Jesus says this. Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean. Same phrase, right? You are clean. But not every one of you, for he knew who was to betray him, namely Judas, and that is why he said, not all of you are clean. So it's the same phrase here. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. He doesn't say not all of you because at this point Judas has has left. In chapter 13, Judas left. But he's saying you are clean. In other words, what he's saying is you are branches that bear fruit. You are my disciples. These are the branches that you are. You are not those that will be cut off and destroyed, but you are ones that bear fruit. So that's kind of the introduction, and now he couples this illustration with this phrase, this command in verse 4. He says, abide in me. What does that mean? What does it mean to abide? I was in the nursery for a little bit this morning, and, and Reese asked me what we were going to be talking about. And I said, we're going to talk about abiding. And I said, what does abiding mean? As we talked about a little bit, I said, if I said, Reese, where do you abide? He would say, what would you say? And he said, well, I live at such and such Southampton, right? So he said his address. And that's that's part of what abiding means. It means to remain or to stay in a place. It could mean that you live or dwell somewhere. So if you ask me, where do you abide? I would say, well, I abide in Louisville, Kentucky on Radiance Road. Uh, we could also think of, of it as, an, as a, something, um, a figure of speech. We say someone lives somewhere, someone abides somewhere. You might think about a little kid who... Um, there's a pool just down the street. In the summer, he just he lives there. That's where he abides. That's where he's always at. Wouldn't that be nice uh, on this cold day, thinking about swimming in a pool on a hot summer day? Uh, or maybe there's a person who goes to the same restaurant every day. He's there for breakfast, lunch, dinner. The waitresses and the managers, they all say, man, this guy lives here. So it's this, this idea of remaining somewhere, of dwelling somewhere, of always being in that place. You are there. You abide there. So when Jesus commands us to abide in him, he's saying that we should remain in him, that we should dwell in him, that our lives should be marked as being constantly revolving around him, such that if someone asks us the question, where do you live, we could not just say in Louisville, Kentucky, but we could say in Jesus. Wouldn't that be unique if someone asked you, where do you live? And you said, in Jesus, where do you dwell? The habit of my life is to be with Jesus. And it says so much so that there's a coupled with this. He says, abide in me and I in you. So not only are we in him, but he is in us. Now, how's that possible? How can you have a box in a box that's... It's so Christ is in us, but we are in Him. It's a it's a mystical thing, but it shows the relationship of the Father. It, there's echoes of the Trinity that are here, and Jesus brings these out in John 17. If you turn maybe a page or two, John 17, verse 20, Jesus is praying on our behalf. He's praying us into this relationship. He says, "I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, so that." Those of us who are children would all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. 
So abiding has this strange mystical relationship where we are in Christ and Christ is in us and Christ is in the Father and so we are in the Father. And there's, there's something unique that's going on here. Of course, that all sounds possibly just strange and, and un, unreal. But remember that this is flowing out of what illustration? What's the illustration from verses 1 and 2? It's the vine and the branches. So we see that abiding in him, it has to do with us drawing strength from him, drawing all of our life from him. Abiding in him, it says, is how we produce fruit. Verse 4, abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So abiding in him is how we produce fruit. In other words, how we invest our lives in something that's that's truly going to last. And as we think about a, a coming year, we think, well, what do I want to invest my life in? I want to invest my life in something that's going to last for eternity. And that's what that fruit is. It's something that will endure, that, that will last. For us to abide in Jesus, then, is the same as a branch abiding in a vine. Unless the branch is connected to the vine, there is no hope for fruit. He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. And unless we are connected to Christ, we will produce nothing. Now, maybe this illustration, you've heard it too many times, right? The vine, the branch. Let me give you another one that maybe will help you think about it in a different way. You might think of a child in his mother's womb. A child in the in a, in a mother's womb is, is attached to the umbilical cord. And this child receives everything from this umbilical cord. That is that is where its life, his life, his, his sustenance comes from. Apart from his mother, he has no life. And if that cord is, is severed, if the mother ceases to eat, if the mother dies, then so too the child. Such is our connection to Christ. We, we live and move and have our being only because we are connected to him. And if we are severed from Christ, then we lose all life. And we die. So to abide in Jesus is not to find ourselves necessarily in a place, in a specific location, but rather that we find ourselves completely dependent on Christ. So we're trying to understand what abiding means, and I think there's another clue in saying what the opposite of abiding means. What would be the opposite of abiding? I think in the text, the opposite of abiding, to a certain extent, is death. But not just death, but death followed by judgment. Look at this in verse 6. If anyone does not abide in me, so if you're not abiding, what are you? If he does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. Not only that, but the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. So the branch does not draw that does not draw strength from the vine, that does not draw life from the vine, does not find its life source in the vine alone. Not only doesn't bear fruit, but it, it's it's said to be dead. It's not that it's just not that it's alive, but it's 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 not producing fruit. It's it's dead. That the connection to the life-giving vine was was superficial. It wasn't really there. It just looked like it was attached to the vine, but it bore no fruit, and so it dried up, and it proved that it wasn't a true branch in the first place. So this branch is is cut off. Not only is that branch cut off, but it's thrown into the fire, and it's burned. It's a symbol of judgment on this branch. To abide in Christ is not to abide in his wrath or 
in his judgment as this branch is. But in fact, Jesus has a parallel here. Verse 4 says, Abide in me and I in you. But as we look down, we see a, a parallel. He says, as the Father, verse 9, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide, not in me, abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. So to abide in Jesus is to abide in the love of Jesus. It's to know God as, as our Father, and Jesus as our mediator, and the Holy Spirit is residing in us. John's going to say later on in his epistle, in 1 John, he's going to say that here's how we know that we abide by the Spirit that Christ has given us. And this Spirit cries out in our heart and says, Abba, Father, we know God as our Father. So abiding with Jesus is to abide in his love. It's to know and experience the depth of his love for us. So we're answering this question. Remember, this is the question. What does it mean to abide in Christ? And here's kind of what we've said up to this point. To abide in Christ is to live with Christ. It's to have our lives completely wrapped up in who he is. To abide in Christ is is to be in Christ and to have Christ in us. To abide in Christ is to draw all our spiritual life from the true vine, from Jesus. To abide in Christ is to be saved from death and judgment. To abide in Christ is to rest in God's love for us that's been expressed in the Father's sending of His only Son as our mediator and of the Son's sending of the Spirit as our constant companion and the sign and the seal of our adoption as sons and daughters. So I think we could say this. I think we could say abiding is really salvation. Abiding is is to be saved at at its core. Abiding is saying... Apart from you, Jesus, I can do nothing. It's to admit our need of Christ. It's to admit our lostness apart from Him. It's to agree that apart from Him we can do nothing. To agree that we are not, that if we're not connected to Jesus, then we will bear no fruit. And by bearing no fruit, we will show that we have no real connection to Christ. And so I think as we think about abiding, we we first have to think about it as it relates to our hope in life and in death in terms of whether or not we are found in Jesus or if we will be cast off from Jesus, cut off and burned in judgment. So the question I think that we have to ask from this is, are we abiding in Christ as our only hope for salvation? Have we come to the place of truly believing that apart from him we can do nothing? believing that our good deeds, that who our parents are, how much money you make, the fact that you're better than your co-workers or people in your family or friends, that that has absolutely nothing to do with your standing before God. You remember last week we saw how Mary praised God and showed us the way that we come to him. And how do we come to Jesus? We come with our pockets turned out, showing that we have nothing. We come with empty hands and we come on our faces and we say, apart from you, Jesus, apart from your death and your resurrection, And the life that you give apart from you, I cannot do anything. I can do nothing to save myself. Save me, Jesus. So to abide in some sense is salvation. If we've not come to this place, to this place of saying that Jesus, apart from you, we can do nothing and we have no hope of salvation apart from you, then what Jesus says, he does not say, verse 3 to us, he does not say you are clean. He could not say that to us. He doesn't identify us as their children. He doesn't prune us so that we'll bear more fruit. Rather, what he does is he cuts us off. Throws us in the pile. 
and judgment is all we face. Don't be found in that place. Repent. Repent and bear the first fruits of repentance and the fruit of faith in Christ alone. But on the other hand, I think there are those of us who, to whom Christ would say the words of verse 3. He would say, you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. You're clean because of your faith in Christ alone for salvation. But we would say, and we would say that we would all stand here and say, I can do nothing. Apart from Jesus, I can do nothing to earn my salvation. But maybe we've fallen into the trap of saying that that's how we begin the Christian life, but that's not how we finish it. Remember that error from Galatians? Having begun by grace, they were trying to be perfected by works. Having said, we we have no hope apart from Christ for salvation, but we need to graduate from that and then keep the law in order to make Christ happy with us. I think sometimes we do that. We, We say, I have no life apart from Jesus, but the only way I can produce fruit is by my own efforts. New Year's resolutions is a seedbed for that. To say, I have salvation in Christ alone, but I'm going to make him happy this year by all the good things that I'm going to do with my own hands. Man, I'm really going to buckle down. I'm going to show him that he's, he should be glad that he's adopted me as his son. But if we would say that, that abiding is salvation, then we could say that continuing to abide in Christ is the fruit of our salvation. Faith is not how we begin the Christian life and works how we perfect it. Rather, it's faith always, that we should always live connected to the Father, always live in a way that says, apart from you, Jesus, I can do nothing. Apart from you, I will not bear any fruit. Apart from you, nothing in my life will last for eternity. Apart from you, Christ, I have no hope. Now, this is where my baby illustration breaks down. Because when the baby's born, what do you do? You cut the umbilical cord. It would be really strange to see a 30, 40-year-old still attached to his mother with the umbilical cord. That is strange, isn't it? That is a strange picture. Maybe put that in your head. Okay, that's weird. But in some ways, that's what we are to be as Christ. In Christ, to abide in him, we are to always draw our sustenance from him. We are to always draw our life from him alone. The cord is never cut. There's this... When the baby is born and the, and the umbilical cord is cut, there actually begins in that moment this slow crawl towards independence. Jude is, is more independent than he was. He's still really dependent, but he's more independent than he was before. And we've all seen that. We grow and we become more independent. But with Christ, we are to be 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80-year-olds living in our parents' basement. Drawing all our life, everything that we have, from Jesus alone and saying, I have no hope. I do whatever my Father says is what Jesus said. I do whatever he tells me to do. And that's where our life resides. We do not ever graduate from that. That's what abiding is. So how do we do this? How do we abide in Christ? If we're going to resolve this year, if our resolution is going to be, I'm going to abide. I'm going to abide in Christ. How are we going to do that? And this is where I think... Uh, I would say that this resolution to say, I'm going to abide, gives us the big picture. Because if I stood up here and I said, okay, everyone, here's your list of resolutions we're going to make together as a church. We're all going to read the Bible together. And um, we're going to memorize scripture and we're going to pray and we're going to consistently gather as believers. Then suddenly we feel overwhelmed. Maybe we don't feel overwhelmed, but we say, yeah, I can do that. Give me those checks and I'll check them off. And therefore, at the end of the year, I'll feel like a better Christian. And we lose the big picture of saying that the reason we do these things 
is so that we would abide in Christ. We'll flush that out more in a minute here, but I think it's it's this idea of if 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 we would say that being in God's word, being in prayer, and being with one another, if that's going to draw me closer to Christ and help me to abide in Him more, then that's what I want to do because my goal is to abide. My goal is not to come to the end of the year and say, look, I read through the entire Bible. My goal is to say, I know Jesus better. I'm more dependent on him than I was before. And I've borne fruit for his glory and for my joy. It's not to say, look at all the scripture I memorized. It's to say, I know Jesus better. I'm abiding in him more than I was in the past year. So how do we abide in Jesus? I've given you the application, but I think that they're here in the text. How do we abide in Jesus? First, we abide in his Word In John 8.31, Jesus says, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And in verse 7 here, he says, If you abide in me, and my words abide in you. There's a parallel there. Verse 4 says, Abide in me, and I in you. And he says, If you abide in me, and my words abide in you. Jesus abides in us through his word. So there's a sense in which and we, we need to abide in his word, and there's another sense in which his word needs to abide in us, but he flushes it out even more in verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So it's not just enough to say, I abide in his word, his words abide in me, but it's also to say, and I'm not just a hearer of the word, I'm a doer, I obey his commandments. That's what it means to abide in his word, to have his to, to rest in his word, to have his word in us, and then to do what he, what he says. So if we want to abide in Christ, we need to be people of God's word. We need to abide in his word and have his word abiding in us so that the spirit would empower us to obey him. So how do we do this? Let me get real practical. We read God's word. Doesn't that make sense? Some people say, well, I'm not a reader. Well, you're going to have to get over that because if you want to abide in God's word, you need to read his word. So what are you going to do this year? I'll tell you what. We've got Bible reading plans back there for you to read through the Bible in a year. So here's a practical application. Pick up a Bible reading plan. Cut up the bookmarks and put them in. And even if it means that you're going to have to miss your favorite TV show one day a week or you're going to have to not log on to Facebook or you're going to have to get up a little earlier, then we need to do it. We need to abide in God's Word. Did that, did that hit a nerve somewhere? <laughs> Why? Why do we do it? So that next year we can come to the end of the year and we all stand here on December 30th of next year and say, Hey, I read through the Bible in the past year. No. So that we can say I learned how to abide in Christ more. His word is abiding in me more than it was at the end of the year. I learned a little bit more about abiding in Jesus. Not only do we read it, but we, we memorize it. Some people say, I don't know how to memorize. Well, we're going to have to figure that out too. We're going to have to learn. It's work. It's hard. On Sunday evenings, we're going to start going through this, this catechism and looking at questions. And coupled with each of those questions is scripture that we're going to seek to memorize together as a church. Now, the, again, what's the danger of making resolutions, making resolutions, and then not keeping them? And so it'd be a lot easier for me to say, man, I really hope that we can memorize scripture together as a church. And keep that in my head and not say it out loud so that then when I either fail to lead well through it or we end up not doing it, then, well, at least we don't feel like we failed. But I want to say it out loud. Let's try to memorize Scripture together as a church. As we participate, we want to commit to participate in these Sunday evenings, to, to read these questions and then to reflect on the Scriptures that go with them. Why? So that we can impress people at parties and quote Scripture. 
No. So that God's word is abiding in us. So that we're bearing fruit that truly lasts. We bear fruit for his glory and for our joy. We read it. We memorize it. We meditate on it. We study it. We come on Sunday mornings to Sunday school. We're doing this new book that's centered on scripture. We read that book and we meditate on it. We join a small group where we can do another Bible study and, and be in God's word. The point isn't to say, look at all these things that I go to. The point is that we would abide in God's word. So as you look, we, there's, um, there's some little papers in the back. I thought I brought one up here, but maybe I didn't. There's some papers that have kind of this stuff. This is, you know, what we're going to try to do. We're going to try to read this book, and there's a Bible reading plan. And this is about the catechism we're doing. Now, here's what we're not doing as elders. Our goal is not to make you a busy person. Our goal is to make you an abiding person. I don't want to make you a busy person, but I do want you to abide. To abide in Christ. To abide in His Word. We may walk through this year and say, you know what, that was too much. We just need to focus on maybe these things and not that. But let's start this year and try to do the best that we can to abide in God's Word. To let it soak into us. Because if it soaks into us, it will change us. I don't know about you, but sometimes we forget to clean up, well, we don't forget, we neglect to clean up our dinner table. And the table, the, the plates sit there and they have some food left on them. And and the, the food gets crusted on there and it's it's hard to get off. And so what we do is you take it, like you guys probably do, and you put it in the sink. And what do you do? Just some water. Put a little water in there and let it soak. And the change is amazing. If you let it sit there for five minutes, you pull that plate up and the food just comes right off. If I went in there and started scrubbing at it, it's going to take me just as long, and it's going to be ten times as much work. But if we let it soak in the water, it changes what happens. If we soak in God's Word, if, if, we, if, if we read all of Scripture, if, if we are together memorizing Scripture, meditating on it together, we will be changed by abiding in Christ. It was said of Charles Spurgeon, that the great preacher, that if you pricked him, he would bleed Bibline, meaning he would be bleed Bible. Bibline, I think, sounds like a made-up word. Maybe it's not. Um, but the point is that he had learned how to abide in Christ so much that it soaked into him. It saturated his entire being so that he responded with God's word to anything that came into his life. I, wish that, I hope that will be said of, of us. Now, overflowing out of our abiding in God's word is the second way that we abide in Christ, which is to abide in prayer. It's very clear the connection in verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, that's the if, then ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. We, we should couple these things, that we would abide in God's word, and then we would be bold in prayer. If we would abide in his word, then we can be bold in prayer. The scripture soaks into us and it changes us. And then we have this amazing power because we can ask things that are according to God's heart. Because we know his heart because we're soaked and saturated with his word. So when we pray, we pray according to what he wants. We are abiding in him. We linger with him long in prayer. In praise and adoration and confession of sin and thanksgiving for all that he's done. We pray for others. We intercede on their behalf. It should be done in private, but it's also the focus of our of our Sunday evenings. As we walk through this catechism, the point of doing it is is it's it's fairly brief, because I do think that there's so something so powerful about us gathering together and praying for one another, praying for the needs of our church, praying for the needs of the one. And I, I want us to be consistent at that, to be a praying 
church. We abide in his word, we abide in prayer, and we abide in love for others. This flows out in, in verse 12. If you just read this section with me of, of John 15, verse 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you, that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that, so that you will love one another. John picks up on this again in 1 John, and he says it like this. Let me read to you 1 John chapter 4, verse 12 says, No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. No one has ever seen God. And then he says, but if we love one another, then, in God, then God abides in us, and his love is perfected. So how does God abide in us? By our love for one another. Not only does it abide in us by that love, but then others see the unseen God in the love that we have for one another. So this isn't, abiding in Christ isn't a, a New Year's resolution that you take on and you say, I'm going to do this by myself. No, it flows out. If, if abiding in Christ is the same as abiding in his love, then doesn't it make sense that love is going to be one of the major overflows of that? Love for one another, love for the world. Now, I don't know what this looks like as far as clear and measurable things, you know, for a resolution. I know that we are encouraging folks as we do. Uh, we, we have no evening service. It's the last Sunday of the month. There's no evening service tonight. The purpose is so that we would get together, so that we would be together as the body of Christ, encouraging one another, loving one another. Maybe your resolution is to actually take advantage of that. To say, on those last Sundays of the month, I'm going to make sure that I have lunches, lunch planned with someone. Maybe with someone who's new in the church or who I've just never sat down with and gotten to know better. And so that we could encourage one another and, and, and show the love of Christ to one another. Maybe invite a neighbor over and to show the love of Christ to them. This is how we abide in Him, is in His love and His love for others flows out of us. So... Let me close this out. What does it mean to abide? To abide is to live with Christ, to have our lives completely wrapped up in Him. It's to be in Christ and to have Christ in us. It's to draw all our spiritual life from the true vine Jesus. It's to be saved from death and judgment, and it's to rest in God's love for us. It is Abiding is salvation, and the fruit of salvation is that we would continue to abide and say, I cannot do this on my own. Apart from Jesus, I can do nothing. How do we abide? Three practical ways. By abiding in His Word, by abiding in prayer, and by abiding in love for others. And just in closing, what are the results? Well, Jesus says, first of all, it's fruit. He says, unless we abide in Him, we cannot bear anything. But whoever abides in Him, we will bear much Fruit, we will bear fruit. Our lives will count for something eternal. They will last, what we do will last forever. There are many things I did in this past year that are over and done with, hours that I have wasted. But there are things that I've done for Christ that will last for eternity. And if we abide in Him, then we will have fruit that lasts. 
He says, too, there's joy. Look at verse 11. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. If you abide in Christ, he says, there will be joy and your joy will be full. And then the greatest thing that we all, that if our heart is in tune with the Father, this is what we want. Verse 8, by this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. That beautiful coupling where God says, if you abide in me, I will be glorified. But not only that, you will be filled to the fullest measure of joy possible. I will be glorified and you will be filled with joy and you will bear fruit. And so for our church, this is what I wish for us as individuals. I wish that we, I hope that we have it by the power of the Spirit. Again, we can only do this through His strength that we would have a fruitful new year. A fruitful new year where we do things, where we invest our time and our energy and our minds and our hearts in things that will last for all eternity. And a joy-filled new year as we abide in Christ that we know the fullness of joy that Christ has come to bring. And that our year is glorifying to God. That as we bear fruit by abiding in Him, the Father is glorified. So that's what I wish you. I wish you a fruitful, joy-filled, God-glorifying New Year. How do we see that happen? We'll see it happen by abiding in Christ.